it's kind of like uh, oceanic pornography in a way. It's 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 so I, I don't know. It's just breathtaking. Hey guys, I'm David, and I'm Alon, and welcome to our podcast. I finally watched where we talk about movies that at least one of us hasn't seen before. We discuss our thoughts on the film and determine, was it worth the wait? Does it still hold up? And would we watch it again? And today I finally watched The Master. So The Master is about this kind of rough scoundrel character, I would say, uh, Freddie Quell, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is coming back from the Navy in, what is it, 1950s? I think he meets he meets Philip Seymour Hoffman around the 50s. I mean, obviously, he fought in World War II, which ended in like 45. Yeah, so, then... so, so he's been kind of like a drifter for like <clears throat> three to five years at that point. And uh, he, he kind of wanders on uh, the master shit. The master played by, like you said, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He stumbles upon his ship uh, as a stowaway and is from there just kind of taken care of uh, by the master and falls into his cult-like religion. Yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. See, in in my opinion, from the acting to the cinematography to the just the overall writing is it's one of the best movies of the i don't know i the last 20 years i don't i don't know if you feel that way probably not but (laughs) i can uh hear your bated breath i so when i first saw it i was really blown away by as you said, the cinematography and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It, because I hadn't seen this and I haven't really seen like a new Philip Seymour Hoffman performance in years, you know, because he passed away, sadly, um, getting to see something new from him and something that he was just so amazing in. Um, I texted one of my friends afterwards and I was like, you know, we talk about movies all the time. It's like bold statement. I think he might be one of the best, might be the best actor of the last 20 years. Oh, oh, for sure. For well, I was sure. saying the best, you know, obviously you have Daniel Day-Lewis and DiCaprio that I consider high up there. And, you know, he, he mentioned a few too. You could say Tom Hanks. But I would, I would even say it, for my category of best actors um, in, in the last 20, 30 years, um, two of two of them are in this movie: Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, but just the way you know, a lot of people when they'll talk about um, movies and they'll talk about performances and how you have two people that kind of go head to head in a movie, and one of them blows the other off the screen. And I always think that's you know that's the way it's written, right? The, I mean, the the dialogue and the direction that kind of tells you who's gonna blow someone off the screen but Mm -hmm. you know in this movie they're you know philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix are kind of equal sides of like the opposite uh, you know equal opposites but i mean every scene that philip seymour hoffman is in is just 
dominant. He's the, he's the center and just the way he delivers his lines and the way he, you know, enunciates certain words like he is a, almost like a Southern preacher because he's, he's, you know, leading this, this cult. Um, just that was something in the first watch I was blown away by. Now I wouldn't have after that first watch agreed with you. Um, I did watch it again uh, a few days later and had a much better appreciation for the movie. Um, you just pick up so much more. There's the, the writing is so subtle with things. Um, you pick up the major themes the first time, but just these subtle little details throughout, I think add so much to it. And it's one that, uh, is very rewarding with uh, repeated viewings. You know, like I said, it's it's one of um, my favorite movies. Uh, it, it emotionally, like personal emotionally, um, it's not that high up on my list. I I just think it's a very well done movie. But like you were saying, because when I first talked to you um, after, right after you watched the movie, you didn't seem that impressed and now you're saying that you have a kind of watching it um again you're trying to get my story are you trying to get my story straight well no i mean i'm just i guess i'm saying like you have a newfound appreciation is is what you're saying i think it's the type of movie that you need to kind of think on you need to marinate on um well it's definitely the type of movie it's definitely a type of movie i feel like you should watch alone yeah, I would I, I would agree with that. Um, I watched the the first time with my wife, and um, she was not a fan of the movie at all. And so, um, when you're watching with someone else who's not a fan of something, you know, you make comments here and there. I mean, because we can get into it, but the the opening of this movie is so odd, mm-hmm. and um, Joaquin Phoenix's character is so odd throughout the movie. Um, that it's sort of grating. And, um, and so if you're watching with someone who's not really into watching it or doesn't want to in the first place, it, it you know, can obviously have an effect, but at the same time, I think it's also you, when you think more about the movie and then a second viewing, I think is this, this is one of those movies where I think watching it again is almost necessary. Right. I mean, Oh man, I just, for for the cinematography, I know we keep coming back to the cinematography, but it is really a beautiful movie, and the uh, the uh, ocean shots, the water shots, um, it's kind of like uh, oceanic pornography in a way. It's 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 so I, I don't know. It's just breathtaking, um, and just everything about the the lighting and the angles is uh wonderful and also something i noticed about it is it's relies so heavily on the score which is something i didn't really notice the first time but this movie it's very dialogue heavy but the dialogue doesn't in a lot of movies the dialogue is used to explain to the audience what's happening but in this movie you're basically dropped in as a fly on the wall listening to something and no one in the movie is there to try and help you figure out what's going on. And so, you know, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, talks so vaguely throughout the movie and it's really hard to, to follow. You can follow the story, but it's such a simple story, but the, 
the director uses the music to kind of to guide you along with the story in a really interesting way and it's it's also like a very beautiful score too and so i i really like that aspect of it and i appreciate it a lot more the second time i was watching it when i uh, watch a movie i'm i'm so musically deficient in in listening to scores and and music cues i'm just really bad at it uh, but as soon the first time i saw this movie um, and then when I watched this, this film again, that's, it was one of the most like glaring things that I noticed, especially the music in the beginning. Cause it's like, like plucking of the strings, very like, ding, ding, you know, and right. it, it, it was the dialogue. Like I, I would say in the first, what, 20, 25 minutes, there's very little dialogue. And I would say, uh, the music was the dialogue like you said it carried uh you from scene to scene and i appreciated that a lot well and the one the major point where i noticed it too is this movie i don't think has to me only had one funny part in the entire movie it's a very serious movie and that was they're in a, um, when they make it to New York City and they're at a, uh, a person's home who is a believer in what they call the cause, which is the cult that they're, that they're in, um, someone starts to question um, Philip Seymour Hoffman about, <laughs> about the cult. Right. And, and um, Freddie then throws something at him and Philip Seymour Hoffman is like yelling at him and the whole group of people that are there are like kind of very off put by this and i think it's actually eventually the the lady that owns the house kind of leaves the cult because of this but right after this scene it's like a hard cut and they're all in the elevator standing they're all just looking kind of crestfallen and the music playing in the background like actually made me laugh and i think it's the only scene that is i think purposely supposed to be funny and the rest of it i think is very serious i don't know if you found anything else funny in the movie but during the scene where the uh the guy interrupts him and, and like you say, questions the religion and Philip Seymour Hoffman is like keeping a cool head. Uh, but the guy keeps pushing him and pushing him. And then he calls him like a really nasty word. And he just kind of like turns all red and just says, you know, this pig effort. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was funny. Like his, oh. his, because he, well, he tries to keep like a cool headed leadership and then he just blows up and calls him a pig F. And I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Well, and actually I forgot too, before that, the guy who uh, questions the cause keeps saying, excuse me. And like everyone kind of notices, but they don't pay attention to him. And then he, he waits like 30 full seconds and says, excuse me. And just like everyone looks at him, but then they don't pay attention. And he just keeps doing it to interrupt. I actually thought that was pretty funny too. But the elevator scene, I think what the reason, the only reason I found it funny, yeah, obviously the contrast, but the hard cut, but then the music, which is kind of what I was, the point I was getting yeah. to is the way he uses music to get his point across in a movie that doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Well, you know, with, with the lack of dialogue, uh, you said earlier that it, you as the audience just end up in the moment of the movie. Uh, sometimes it cuts to, a, a scene with a certain passage of time um, that has expired from one scene to the next. And you just end up there as the audience member without really any like cause or explanation. And 
you have to figure you have to figure it out and for me i vastly enjoy a movie much less when they walk you through it when they you know explain every little detail i hate flashbacks of something at the end of a movie that happened at the beginning of a movie because i'm like you know i it only happened an hour and a half ago i of course remember it you know so those those kind of things personally bother me about a movie so i i really do appreciate a movie that doesn't think i'm stupid and that will let me uh figure it out along the way i agree and um yeah one example of that too is so after Freddie meets the uh, the master, Philip Seymour Hoffman, they do what's called informal processing. It's kind of the basis of the religion. And um, it Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman asks a bunch, I'm just gonna call him the master. The master asks uh, Freddie a bunch of questions and sort of takes him back to, when I first watched it, my wife was questioning, we were kind of arguing, is that a memory or is it, a, you know, a um, almost like a dream of like what he wanted to happen. Um, and he takes him back to this girl that Freddie had had met. And it's kind of a question, you know, dreamer or memory. And later on, um, late, late, late in the movie, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of reveals that their whole process used to be it was memories. And I think Peggy talks about that a little bit, too. And so that second viewing, I was able to pick that up because it kind of happens afterwards. He things are explained to you out of sequence and you kind of have to put the puzzle together to, mm -hmm. um, to know the answer. Yeah, it, it does. It, it does make you think the, the scene that you're talking about with the informal processing, uh, because their religion cult thing works on kind of a, a pseudo hypnotism um, process where if you've lived multiple lives through I guess reincarnation it doesn't exactly <laughs> explain it in detail but if you know you're um, a 30 year old man in this life but you might have been you know a 50 year old woman in the life before it, he tries to get you into that uh, tranquil mode in your mind to try to reveal what exactly you were before by asking you a series of questions. And when he does this for the first time to Joaquin Phoenix, there's a lot of repetitiveness and he answers, you know, his name, uh, Freddie Quill. Uh, you know, was he, um, like one of the questions is, did he have sex with one of his family members? And when he first asked, he said no. And then after a lot of repetitive, you know, uh, repetitive motion and, and uh, asking the question multiple times, he finally reveals that he has. And that happens like quite a bit through the movie, but I think it's really, it doesn't seem like it on the surface, but it feels really telling to the character uh, once you, see it a couple times yeah and i think that along with kind of the whole beginning of the movie sort of sets the stage for who freddie is um you know because he in that in that informal processing you kind of come to the conclusion that he's you know an unreliable 
you could say narrator. He's not necessarily a narrator because you're seeing it from like a third person view of the whole movie. But he he lies a lot. Um, and so he's just very untrustworthy. You know, there's the scene in the beginning where he's accused of poisoning someone and he denies it. And you, you can't really trust him. And so that that plays a great deal into his character of, you know, who he is. He's, from my point of view, he's almost like, a, just like an id. He's like the the embodiment of like your base needs and desires. Like the only things he wants are food, mm-hmm. sex, and booze. And shelter. Well, it's shelter, obviously, but I think that's fourth behind the booze and the sex and the food for him. Well, so what what this movie does, because, you know, we, we've watched a lot of films that are heavily based in plot. And I don't feel like this movie is based in plot at all. I think the plot's almost inconse- inconsequential to the movie. Exactly. It completely focuses on who these characters are, especially Joaquin Phoenix's Freddie Quell, um, and and what changes he goes through from the beginning to the end of the movie. Like you said, he he had very basic instincts, um, and the master has called him a dirty, filthy animal because I feel like the master always looked at himself as the example of perfection. Um, Very sophisticated, very high class, and everyone who is not at his level are animals. And I think there is no better example of a human animal than Freddie Quell. Which is why, at least in my opinion, I, I wonder if you agree that he liked having Freddie around because it was this part of him that he didn't, that he was sort of suppressing, that not allowing. Um, and when Freddie was around, you know, he had Freddie make him these alcoholic drinks that had like paint thinner in them. Um, and um, I think I, I think that is why he kept Freddie around was to hone into that animal instinct that he didn't want to take part in himself. Well, I think it was even more than that. I think it was the fact that the master, even though he had this like veil of sophistication and betterness, <laughs> I guess betterness than everyone else, he still had a lot of vices. He still had a lot to deal with uh, personally. Uh, Freddie was a drunk, but he was also a drunk. Uh, to a certain degree, um, he was a flirtatious kind of guy, especially his wife, uh, played by Amy Adams, got onto him for being so flirtatious to yeah, other ba- women. Basically, you can sleep with anyone as long as I don't find out about it. So just, you know, be better at it. Right, right. Be better at hiding it. And I think he kept Freddie around because even though no matter how bad his sins, uh, I guess, sins got, Freddie's was also always worse. And that probably made him feel better. Yeah, I can see that. But at the same time, I think Peggy in that same scene where she's telling him about the cheating is also telling him that Freddie is a bad influence on him. Like he's making that booze for you. And and then after telling him that she goes to Freddie and it's like, Freddie, you can't, you can't drink anymore. If you're going to stay around here, you need to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it it is, you know, in my opinion, it was the, 
he liked that influence on him because it was a thing he he didn't want to dabble in. So you would say Freddy uh, was the main character. Yes. And and basically uh, the master helped him get to a certain change in his life. Uh, I guess this is where you, we would get into a bit of spoiler territory here. The, Although I don't, I don't know if anything, anything matters for spoilers in this. Well, what's so interesting is that plot wise, it, it, it doesn't like, you know, I can tell you, Oh, they ended up in England at the end of the movie and it doesn't really matter. But I feel like the only thing spoiler wise would be, um, it, uh, how the characters have changed to at the end of the movie. Right, and I think you probably think Freddy's changed a lot more than I do. Yeah, I, I do. Um, but what's more interesting, and, and as I like really thought about it, is the change, not from Freddy's perspective, but the change that the master went through from the beginning to the end of the film, I felt was almost equal to Freddy's change. Yeah, because when, when we first meet Freddy, and I thought the, the opening of the film was kind of like a microcosm for his character and for how people interacted with him. There's a, um, they're building a lady on the beach out of sand and Freddy hops on top of her and pretends to have sex with her and all the other uh, sailors are laughing. And then it goes on for way too long and they're all super uncomfortable. And then they just like kind of start looking away and then Freddie finishes up and it's like everyone who interacts with him in his life up to that point, And, you know, before he meets the master and kind of goes through a change, um, they all meet him. They're sort of, they like him and then they get to know him more like the woman in the, uh, in the department store that he worked with, you know, she was interested in him. And then she got to know him more and she was seemed even scared by him because he, he kind of was an insane person. Um, well, he was, he was incredibly unstable and, and you're exactly right. Anyone who, who met him, even if they started liking him a little bit, eventually ran away from him. Um, I, what was interesting to me is, is the master never ran away from him. It got to a point in the movie where he ran away from the master. And I thought that was a pivotal uh, change in his, in his uh, development. And you know what I found interesting to go back a little bit to the beginning is everyone ran away from him except for Doris. His, um, this was a, like a 16-year-old girl that wrote to him while he was in the war and he came back to see her and told the master that he was in love with her. And it, it's almost as if he was self-aware enough to know, I really love this person. And, but if, if I stay around her, like I'm going to drive her off. And before that can happen, it's like the only real human connection he kind of had and he didn't want to lose it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, see, he, you would say that because he was so unstable, insane, um, PTSD kind of person because of the war and he's just kind of a weird, I, I feel like he was weird before the war too, right? Like he's just a kind yeah, of a weird I mean, guy. <laughs> um, he, 
couldn't go see Doris because like you said, he, he felt like he would put her in a, in a situation and he truly loved her and he didn't want to put her in that situation. But when he quote unquote, maybe felt like he got better, maybe he was cured of his irrational methods. He ran away from the master and the first thing we see him do is go immediately to try to get Doris back. Where we learned it was, it's been like, what, eight years and she's off married with like two kids. Right, yeah. And it, yep. it, his, his change just happened too late. He waited too long to, to get better. I thought that was the true character development is that he is the one abandoning someone else and not someone else abandoning him for the first time in his in his life um but not in a way that he you know that because he probably when he was with the master he was well taken care of he was fed he had a, a roof over his head and um kind of a uh fed a- alcohol you know, he, he made the alcoholic drinks and it was just kind of like the ingredients were just given to him to do. So it was kind of like this perfect life and he had a chance to, to come back into it um, at the end and he rejects it for not the purpose of not wanting to be committed. At least this is how I took it, that he didn't have a problem being committed to the cause, but almost like he outgrew the cause. Yeah, it it had done what he needed to, and he was able to leave, I don't think a normal life, but he was able to lead a semi-normal life where, you know, he picks up a, a woman at the end of the movie, and she's um, kind of the farthest we've seen him go, really, with a woman, and um, he just, he's a lot more normal, right? And I actually think, upon rewatch, too, um, so the first, the first thing Philip Seymour Hoffman really says is Joaquin Phoenix asks, is this your ship? And he says, I'm its commander, yes. So the very first question he answers is just evasive. He, he gets asked questions and he's evasive. The guy asks him about the cause and he starts saying, um, do you believe there's pyramids in Egypt? And he's like, you've never been, but great scholars tell us they are. Basically like, don't ask me for receipts. Just believe me because I'm great. And I'm telling you that we can cure leukemia and um, stop nuclear war with my religion I've created. He's, he's a BSer, but he's a really good BSer. Amazing BSer. Yeah. I mean, to, to have that many people follow you uh, purely on um, faith. I think what's also revealed throughout the movie is how... It's little tidbits here and there about how these animal instincts kind of take over the master in a way that his wife, Peggy, always sort of has to bring him back. You know, there's that scene in the bathroom mm-hmm. where she tells him to stop cheating on him and, you know, you're, you're going to yep, ruin that's, the cause. That's definitely all that happens in that bathroom. No need to talk about anything else in there at all. And uh, there, Another interesting scene is where she, after that guy questions the cause, she says, we need to go on the attack and then uh quite literally freddie says all right let's go on the attack and goes and i mean it's not clear if he just beats the crap out of the guy or if he or if he kills him um i would imagine just beating him up 
but but then at the end when freddie comes to england and meets them and you know they're talking and peggy's just like you know you're either here you're not you can't just be here for a moment this is a billion years or nothing you know you have to be all committed Mm -hmm. to this yeah and then she's just looks over at the master and says you know he's not committed to this this is a waste of time and just walks out you know she in a lot of ways she's the one kind of in control she's for a bad like pun i guess she's kind of the true master steering the ship and making sure that philip seymour hoffman doesn't go off course because even in the end you know he tells freddie if you ever leave again i don't want to see you again and then he looks at him he's like or you could say with almost these puppy dog eyes like you know please stay but just yeah. you know if you leave me don't come back and he doesn't he says well then i'm then i'll see you in another life so yeah i think we really see how far he's gone from you know the guy he was in the beginning the movie as a whole i know we've said it was very beautiful and and uh catching to the to the mind and to the eye would would you watch this movie again i think at some point i may um this movie has led me to kind of watch the you know we never we never mentioned paul thomas anderson the the director of this movie who <laughs> right made such a beautiful film i i realized that this and there will be blood are the only movies of his i've seen um he's done eight in total that I think would be his kind of major works. And so I think one, I want to kind of go through his movies and watch them. But two, also I kind of want to go through and watch a lot more Philip Seymour Hoffman performances because I kind of just miss someone that dynamic that just watching him act is a treat. So I probably will at some point. So this has been, I finally watched The Master. Uh, Thanks for joining us. See you guys next time. Bye.